Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am excited about the today's show. Rob Louie is going to join me in just a second. And then Dr. Rebecca Ree will be coming on. She's a Hebrew scholar, has an incredible gift for seeing amazing things in everyday common objects. I think you're going to enjoy her. And then in hour two, Carrie Heddington will be coming on the program. We're going to talk about evangelism. Uh, since uh, I think we're kind of emerging out of the whole pandemic. So how do we uh, pick up where we left off with seeing people in person and going out and knowing that everyone's lives have changed pretty dramatically and a lot of people are looking for hope and answers. So it's a great time for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. One of the workers that always shows up every Tuesday to get things started is Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal and my Washington, D.C. correspondent. Rob, welcome. Oh, thank you, Bill. You're too kind. Appreciate it. Well, I mean it. So lots going on. Um, I I suppose we should start with the the, the G7 summit. Yes. Well, President Biden is uh, is overseas. He's traveling uh, on uh, his first major trip as president. And you're absolutely right. He started with the G7. He's he's gone on to the NATO summit and Mm -hmm. he's uh, preparing for this meeting with uh, Russia's Vladimir Putin. So uh, lots to discuss in this regard, where to begin. Uh, I think that some of the biggest themes coming out of this trip so far are the global tension that appears to exist with Russia and China. Uh, obviously, the United States and the competition that we find ourselves in with both of those nations is dominating the headlines. But uh, but obviously, the big news coming out of the NATO summit is the fact that they took a strong stand against China. And uh, this, I think, is a, a welcome move. Um, obviously, um, probably not as far as our our previous president would have liked to have have taken it. He was uh, a bit more adversarial when it came to relations with China, but uh, but it's in, NATO is an important uh, important organization, uh, an important ally in, um, in in protecting the freedoms that we hold dear, and it's uh, it's really encouraging that they were calling out China for some of its abuses and uh, and problems that it presents uh, across the board, both I think economically and militarily. So um, so lots of lots of conversation and chatter. Uh, there. Um, obviously, uh, you know, the big headlines, Bill, were about the different style that President Biden brings compared to Trump with some of our, our allies in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, you saw that reflected, I think, in some of the photographs and videos that you saw, just the, the demeanor and the behavior of some of the world leaders. Uh, at the same time, I think that um, that's not to discount President Trump's style, he just approached things slightly differently. And there were certain things and negotiation, negotiating tactics that he used, uh, I think, in some cases, effectively. So, uh, But all eyes now shift to the meeting with Vladimir Putin, and uh, and where we'll see where that goes. Yeah, Rob, I'm curious, because there's been so much buildup to this meeting with Putin. Are these two men getting together behind closed doors, and then they come out and tell their individual stories? Uh, what is going well, it, on it exactly? Appear- 
Yeah, it appears that way. So um, so President Biden has uh, done a lot of preparation for this meeting. In fact, he's had uh, briefings from people, in, in, including in his administration, but also uh, a member of the Trump administration and the o- Obama administration. So he's really, I think, tried to understand uh, Putin's aims and some of the things that uh, that he's trying to achieve in Russia and and perhaps uh, in the United States as well. And so uh, one of the things that, uh, that the president has said is that he will not be doing a joint press conference with uh, the Russian leader. And I think that that is significant because typically when they have these kinds of, of meetings, you would see them each standing at their podium right. and, uh, and doing their thing. And, and I don't think that, uh, that Biden wanted to give him that, uh, that kind of publicity. Now, uh, I think that there are some, myself included in this camp, who thinks, why give him a meeting at all? I mean, uh, does he really, given, given what we've been through with Russia, is it really warrant the fact that you should have a sit-down meeting with him? Um, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe the, the president will be able to come out of this meeting and, and achieve some real gains for the United States. Uh, but I remain skeptical. I don't think, uh, based on Putin's comments to NBC News this week, where he was quite confrontational, mm-hmm. that, uh, that anything's gonna, much going to change. I don't think President Biden's going to uh, signal a, um, a, a change in, in Putin's leadership. Uh, and, and of course, the, the two things that, uh, that come to mind specifically are uh, the poisoning of uh, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and, uh, and obviously Russia's um, uh, cyber hacking and other, other cybersecurity issues related to, uh, to the United States. And I just don't see Putin really backing down on either of those. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out if there are going to be cameras in the room. Are we able to uh, observe this exchange, or is this something that is cut off from media? Uh, I I I suspect that it'll be one of those situations where they might come in for a few minutes uh, okay. to give some flavor, but probably not. You know, there will there will be a private conversation uh, that takes place. And uh, and again, this is this was really interesting because you might remember that famous interaction between President Trump and the Ukrainian president uh, when when obviously Ukraine was was so in the news um, during the Trump presidency. And uh, and I just don't think that that Joe Biden does it quite the same way. I think that he's much more of a traditional operator where uh, a lot of these talks are are held in private behind closed doors. But there will be an opportunity, perhaps, to get a for for a photo, and then there may not be. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't even want to uh, have that image out there. I just find it interesting if they go behind closed doors and then emerge, and each each of them tells their version of what happened. Which one do you, uh, you know, understand to be true? <laughs> well, that's a great question because uh, I, I feel like that almost every day uh, <laughs> reading some media accounts yeah. Um, because, yeah, you have you have people in Washington who are always trying to spin their side of the story. Uh, but in this case, I mean, I think we as Americans should be rooting for for our president to um, uh, to do whatever he can absolutely. Uh, to really um, yeah, absolutely. put, put uh, Putin in his place. Because let's face it, this is uh, both Russia and China are, uh, are are doing some some really terrible things in the in the human rights abuses. I mean, the fact that that Putin's opposition main opposition is uh, is imprisoned, and he said this week that he might not make it out of prison alive. Uh, I can't ever imagine a situation that we would like that in in the United States, and the American people wouldn't stand for it. And uh, what China's doing with the Uyghur Muslims, 
and its human rights abuses uh, for going, dating back decades now, I think are, are worthwhile stands for us to take. And uh, and who better to do it than the, the, the president of the United States? Yeah, Rob, you said put Putin in his place. That sounds like a rap song you should write and perform. <laughs> I will back you. I'll sponsor you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When you're talking about, you know, what to believe, let's talk about some of the media bias and some of the falsehoods that have actually come out now to be true. And that some of the narratives have been falling apart like crazy. Oh yes, and 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 by the way, I uh, I somehow have have managed to end up on, on President Trump's uh, media list. So uh, although he's you know not tweeting or posting on Facebook, uh, you know three times a day or so, you know I'm getting his his statements and his updates. And one of the more recent ones was about all of the things that the media uh, said were were true last year, which have turned out to be false. And one of those uh, was what happened in Lafayette Square. Uh, last June. And that's when the U.S. Park Police came in and dispersed the protesters, uh, which is just adjacent to the White House. Um, And shortly thereafter, President Trump, you might remember, in a very famous scene, walked through the park to St. John's Church, uh, which had been set on fire by protesters the night before. And uh, not only did this infuriate leaders of the church, but it also uh, stirred up the city, uh, the, the, the District of Columbia, and in particular, the news media, which uh, had a whole host of reports. Well, it turns out that as an inspector general uh, for the federal government has been investigating this and came out and determined that uh, actually what you read in the news reports uh, a year ago were not exactly the full story. Um, Again, this was an extensive investigation uh, by the inspector general of the Interior Department, which is currently run by the Biden administration. Let's not, you know, uh, pretend that this is something that's being spun. I mean, this is clearly something that uh, that I think the American people can can have credibility in and trust. And it was federal officers who cleared the park because they wanted to allow a contractor to install an anti-scaling fence in response to what was going on there. And this is all coming in the wake of uh, the George Floyd uh, murder um, last year. So, uh, just not exactly uh, what you would believe. You would believe that, you know, that what we were told is that Trump cleared the, the park for, for a photo op and he was staging, you know, a political stunt. And, and it turns out that uh, that wasn't the case at all. It was, it was entirely different. It was a, a security operation. But, but, Bill, I think it's unfortunate that a year later we're just now getting to the bottom of this. And think how many people will believe that narrative and may have cast their vote based on some things that happened uh, that just turned out not to be true. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see how the idea that the the virus leaked from the Wuhan lab is starting to become much more probable as well. That is true. That was another example that uh, that President Trump cited in his statement. And of course, this was one that was dismissed by the news media as a conspiracy theory. Uh, Democrats pointed it out as irresponsible. And now you have a situation where our current president is saying that we need to get to the bottom of it and we need to uh, to do an additional investigation. We need to determine the true source of uh, the coronavirus. And uh, and this is um, this one is particularly troubling because you even had some some medical experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci, who who said a few things that I think probably they, they wish they could take back. And Bill, I really hope we do get to the bottom of it because we were just talking about China a moment ago. I think this is another irresponsible area of China's behavior. 
Uh, they've not been forthcoming and truthful. Uh, had they done more in the early stages of coronavirus, think about the untold number of lives that could have been saved if they had contained the virus within their own country and not let it escape uh, to places like Italy, which then obviously transported all over Europe and, and places the, like the United States. I mean, we just surpassed our 600th 600,000 deaths uh, from from coronavirus. I mean, a, a huge number. And uh, it's um, it, it's truly uh, disheartening to know that the Chinese uh, don't feel any, uh, you know, remorse or, um, or responsibility for what they've caused here. Yeah, it seems that with a world pandemic, we have to figure out how it started and how to prevent it from starting again, anything else like that. Uh, so it's pretty important. Per- particularly, Bill, because... Yeah, particularly, Bill, because, you know, the the experts on on these types of um, deadly diseases say if these kinds of experiments are taking place in labs and obviously technology and science is evolving, this could happen again. I mean, we've got we went 100 years between, you know, the the Spanish flu and coronavirus, but those things could happen more frequently and we might even see another one in our lifetime. Yeah. All right, Rob, I have more questions for you after the break. Rob Louis, my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Be right back. back with Rob Bluey, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. And President Biden ran on a, seemed like he ran on a moderate platform, but some of the policies, Rob, coming out are quite shocking when you see things like they've decided to uh, take the word mother and replace it with birthing people. Yeah, <laughs> this, one, this one was a real head-scratcher. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not quite sure uh, uh, who made the call on this, but uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the <laughs> no, White House, you're speechless. Aren't you? I'm speechless. No... I'm speechless because yeah. uh, the, the, so the the White House obviously sends an important message with its budget, and uh, and and there are a couple of things to to note in the budget. I mean, there's obviously the money <laughs> that it wants to spend, which is a massive sum bill, as you and I've talked about many times in the past, and we were talking trillions upon trillions of dollars, money that we simply don't have because of all the already reckless government spending. But it also sets an important tone in terms of the language that it uses. And the fact that it is now shifting to to use birthing person as opposed to to mother or more traditional terms that <laughs> that we, we've we've referred to our 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 our, our own uh, family and and many people uh, dating back centuries uh, is just uh, like I said a, a, a head scratcher because I don't understand necessarily uh, why um, individuals are are moving uh, in this direction and, and ignoring. Uh, you know the the traditional way that we view families. I just I just don't get it. And and this one uh, this one I think was an important rebuke uh, to to some of the more radical elements uh, that that make up uh, President Biden's administration. And I think that if you um, you know if I if I had a chance to sit down with President Biden one on one 
and you know take out all of the other people in the room. I, I hope he would agree with us on this one that it was a little bit ridiculous, but perhaps I'm I'm mistaken. And really, he's so beholden to to those on the left wing of his his party um, that this is the new approach that they're they're willing to take, and they're going to to, to change um, change our language as a result. Yeah, I mean, I know the health and human. Services Secretary Xavier Becerra was asked that question, uh, can you give me a good definition of birthing people? And he was kind of stuck. He didn't know quite how to respond. Exactly. Well, and I I think that uh, it it caught a lot of people off guard simply because, uh, you know, it's not something that we, we would traditionally equate. But, I mean, there is a, there is a radical uh, movement in this country um, by by individuals who who you know say that men can you know give birth and right. and therefore we have to be open minded and and not use uh, not use traditional terms like mother and father. Uh, we we know that there are, are groups that uh, that want to abolish uh, the nuclear family that that has has you know for so many generations I think been uh, the backbone of of, of success uh, in, in our country. I mean we know that when you have a mother and a father uh, raising children, uh, th- those kids are are, are better off uh, not only with an education, a job, but they'll stay out of poverty. And um, and and you're right, Bracera. Just so your 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 listeners know, I mean, he he told uh, Senator James Langford, who asked him about it, said, "I'll have to check on the language there." But I think if we're talking about those who give birth, I think we're talking about. And he paused. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> and he didn't <laughs> have quite the answer. So even the administration's own people uh, seem seem befuddled by this one. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to comment on some of Ilhan Omar's uh, statements. I know it's she's stirred up a hornet's nest. Oh yeah, so uh, so Ilhan Omar uh, said, and I have the quote here um, because I, 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 I this is a big story in Washington today. Um, she said that quote we have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban, and this um, not only. Uh, raised the uh, the ire of Republicans, but also Democrats uh, in her own party uh, rebuked her for um, for what she said, saying that she should not draw false equivalencies between democracies like the United States and Israel and groups that engage in terrorism like Hamas and the Taliban. So um, so this uh, this was gaining a lot of steam at the end of last week. The House now has a resolution before it which would censure uh, Representative Omar. Uh, Republicans want to go a step farther. They want uh, Speaker Pelosi to remove her from uh, her committee assignments, specifically uh, foreign relations, where she uh, can help set policy over Israel. And uh, and I think that uh, they're saying, look, when Republicans have gone out and said some controversial and really inappropriate things, uh, then we've taken action. We uh, they removed uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, from her committee previously in a previous Congress. They removed Steve King from his committee. So uh, they're saying, why is there a double standard here? You know, why is it just that Republicans are the ones that uh, that face the consequences, but Democrats aren't? And uh, and Pelosi uh, doesn't it doesn't seem to be going for it, Bill. Um, she came out and she uh, she said that. Uh, Actually, the, the Democrats did not rebuke her. Uh, they just acknowledged that she clarified her statement. And she even called Omar a valued member of the, the Democratic caucus. So I think uh, to our previous conversation about the, 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 the left-wing elements that really control the Democratic Party 
today. I think this is another example of where uh, they're even afraid uh, to use the word rebuke because they recognize that it will um, it will be met with uh, a, a sharp um, dis- disapproval from uh, some of those radical elements. Mm-hmm. Robin, Loudoun County, there's a dad taking up uh, critical race theory. Loudoun County, that's your neck of the woods, isn't it? It, it sure is. It's the county neighboring uh, neighboring ours, and boy, oh, wow. am I glad we, we didn't move there. <laughs> uh, there, there is just a, a whole host of problems uh, taking place in Loudoun County Public Schools, and uh, and critical race theory is one of them. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't stop there. Uh, the, the the one of the teachers, a, a physical education teacher, uh, was recently suspended and had his suspension overturned by 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 a judge. Uh, he uh, said that he was going to. Uh, re- not refer to individuals. Um, uh, he was going to refer to individuals based on their their biological sex at birth, re- as a, as opposed to uh, what you know what they said that they 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 felt like being that particular day. So, um, and he won that case. They had to be restored. But yes, you're absolutely correct that uh, that a, a one parent, Michael Rivera, um, uh, came out to a rally in Leesburg, Virginia, this past weekend. And uh, and he said that, um, you know, he likes to, you know, he normally would be staying home, but uh, but he's got to speak out and more and more parents are, are following his his lead. Uh, we've seen a couple of uh, really strong candidates uh, win uh, school board elections in Texas and New York earlier this year. And it seems that uh, these uh, these races are getting a lot more competitive. Because more often than not, the parents are starting to realize what's going on at these schools and that there are some, uh, some interests that don't necessarily have the best interest of the, the students at heart. I think we began to see this bill when so many schools refused to reopen during COVID. Um, and there was such a disparity across the country where some districts just remained closed and, uh, and did virtual learning, while others proved that you could do it successfully in person and, and safely without spreading COVID. So uh, that really sparked a lot of parents interest. And now I think that they're digging under the hood a little bit more. They're seeing really what's going on. Mm-hmm. Rob, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I know there's five pretty big Supreme Court decisions coming down. Uh, Any one in particular you're focusing on more than well, the others? Well, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, there there are. I mean, this is that time of year yeah. where uh, where we have a lot of cases, and the Dobbs uh, versus Jackson Women's Health Organizations is uh, is, is certainly a big one uh, coming out of uh, the the state of um, uh, of, of Mississippi. Um, uh, Bill, I think another one that we should should be paying close attention to is what they decide to do with the individual mandate for Obamacare. Oh yeah, uh, this is not the first time that the, that the individual mandate in Obamacare has been before the court, but we have a different composition of justices right now. So uh, they will be deciding if that mandate is constitutional. And uh, that could uh, throw us into a whole other debate over health care in the United States. Um, there's uh, and, and, you know, there's there, 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 you know, the other uh, big cases involves Catholic charities out of Philadelphia and whether or not uh, the city can prohibit them from, uh, uh, you know, fostering kids because they um, they have religious beliefs that uh, they conflict with uh, placing them in same sex households. So, uh, yes, uh, big decisions on the horizon and they will have a nationwide impact, no doubt, when they come down. Yeah. Thanks again, Rob, for being on the show, and happy Father's Day to you this Sunday. Oh, well, thank you, Bill. I'm looking forward to celebrating with my three kids. I bet you are. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. And get that rap song going, because I want to hear it. (laughs) Okay, I'm on it. (laughs) Thank you. You Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Rebecca Ree, one of my favorite Hebrew scholars, will be joining us. 
and we're going to talk uh, about her wonderful observational skills, which she can do so beautifully and apply this great biblical principle to just about anything. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Rebecca Ree. She uh, has always loved words. Uh, even as a kid, she used to love to spell words and just lay them out on a page and go, look, at they're all spelled correctly. She used to love to <laughs> read, and she uh, grew up in Puerto Rico, so she was uh, reading books in Spanish and English. And then she decided to not go into medical school. She decided at Yale to um, go into studying uh, Shakespeare, Greek philosophy, drama, African-American poetry, medieval and renaissance masterpieces and then she decided from there to go uh, and get her uh, phd at boston college so i've got a hebrew scholar on the line and i'm always glad to talk to her rebecca welcome back well thanks for having me back i'm yeah. very delighted to be here you are a master of making observations and writing about them and i'm always fascinated you do incredibly interesting work and i know today we're going to talk about the dandelion the humble dandelion. <laughs> I can't wait. Yes. So actually, the topic is, that we're talking about is a much greater topic, which is the effort we put into something versus the return that we get back from, from it. And what happens when, as spiritual creatures, that dynamic does not go the way that we want it to? Because I think we've all had that experience. So this all started for me when I was standing in my driveway recently, and I looked down, and this innocent little flower pops up its yellow head in my driveway, and I look down, and I see it there, and I think, I pay way too much money in landscaping fees <laughs> for you to be showing your weedy little face around here. <laughs> um, and that's a pretty good metaphor for life, isn't it? You know, we pour out tons of effort into certain parts of our lives, and we expect a good return. And dare I say, sometimes we even expect perfection, right? Yeah, definitely. But so far, so often in this fallen world, that is not the case. And I would say we're especially waking up to reality in the pandemic that that's not the case. You know, people may be thinking during this pandemic, I am trying my hardest. And I am still in trouble financially. I am, you know, I am trying my hardest. And my kids are still having trouble with their school situation. We're still having health issues and physical, mental, emotional problems. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure when or if we are ever really fully going to get back on our feet. You know, we're, we're just seeing that dynamic over and over again. When, is, when are the full fruits of my efforts going to, you know, come back? So no matter how hard we try, there are always going to be those weeds popping us, popping up, giving us trouble. And those weeds remind us 
just how little control we actually have over our lives. And sadly enough, if you have too many areas where you give out way more than you get back, you can turn into a very bitter person. And then every dandelion you encounter in your life can become an indictment against God. Um, like his grace really isn't sufficient for you. And either he can't or he won't help you. And I think that's at least that's what the voices of darkness would have you believe. That's their takeaway message. You're on your own. Yeah. And I've seen this happen again and again in other people's lives. And I know it happens for sure a ton of times in my own heart. But, you know, it's just that every little thing that comes up starts to become God's fault. And I really am on my own. So, you know, I'm looking at this dandelion. It's a weed. But I can't get past the, the fact that it's also a flower. I mean, the color was like bright yellow. And it was pop. That color was popping against the green grass and the black asphalt. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's why the creator of the universe decided to package this weed in the form of a flower. Because in some small but significant way, he's issuing a challenge to that lie, um, if only we will listen. So, you know, one of the ways I keep always reminding myself to listen to God to those small little challenges that he's always issuing to the, to the voices of darkness is by going to the scriptures. And when we do that, when we go to the scriptures about flowers, we find that Jesus actually references flowers two times in the Bible um, in different ways, but both ways are positive. So I'd like to just jump in, if, if you wouldn't mind, and let's, let's go ahead and see what Jesus has to say I'd love it. about flowers. So, this, you know, the first place I want to mention is the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to just um, read what he says. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They ne- neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today— and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So, you know, you can just imagine on, you know, Jesus standing on the hillside and he's preaching to all these people. You know, I, I imagine a crowd, and some people think, you know, that that sermon was preached several times to several crowds. Um, but he's looking and he's saying, you know, your heavenly father is quite aware of all your needs, and he's going to take care of you. And his bottom line is, Do not worry. Jesus is is using this flower analogy to say, do not worry. So that's, you know, the first thing that we hear about Jesus saying about flowers. And then the second thing he's saying is kind of a a different um, setting. It's more intimate. He's at dinner. Um, He's with um, his favorite friends, you know, the, the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And they're at the table. And Mary, who's the sister of the resurrected Lazarus does something quite special. Um, she takes a, a jar of nard, N-A-R-D, and nard is um, perfume that's made from a flowering plant, and it was very, very expensive. Um, and she breaks it open, puts it on Jesus' feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. It was just like an ex- unbelievably extravagant gesture. And as you can imagine, everybody at the table, just the nard is like filling their nostrils. It's just like 
a billowing smoke almost like, but it's just this, this aroma, you know, you can't not experience what's happening there. And everybody, interestingly, immediately like gets on her case about it. Um, they all jump on her and they like, for um, practical reasons, they're like, you shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't have done that. We could have, you know, taken that nard. If you were going to break it open anyway, we could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And Jesus, you know, here's his response, which is, you know, we put it um, really directly next to the, to what he was saying, the do not worry on the Sermon on the Mount. We put it directly next to that. And he fiercely defends her. And instead of using the flower as the reassurance that he was giving on the Sermon on the Mount to give reassurance, we see Jesus using the flower to take reassurance. And specifically, he's taking reassurance for himself. Now, listen to this. He says, leave her alone, says Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And when I hear these words, I hear a man who is about to face a horrific death saying, look, I need this. I need someone to minister to the grief and dread that I am feeling about my upcoming ordeal. You know, maybe everyone else around the table isn't thinking about it, but you can believe that Jesus is thinking about it. He might have been surrounded by people, but he might have felt intensely lonely because he knew what was coming up. And yes, it's true. You know, maybe he's thinking, yes, it's true that my Heavenly Father will provide for all of your needs, like I said in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's also true that he, he has called me to do an impossible thing for your sake. And I am in agony about it. And Mary's act of love is bringing me comfort and strength to go on. And it really hits the spot. And it's like a curtain gets pulled back on Jesus' inner heart. And we see that when he was telling people to trust God, he wasn't saying that from a proud pedestal, but from a place of understanding that a big part of being human is grappling with limitation and loss of control to a frightening degree. Like he really understood that. Um, and I want to share a personal illustration from my own life about, you know, grappling with limitation um, and so for certain reasons I'm not going to get into, um, I am medically unable to lose weight right now. I have all my life, um, you know, I'm Asian. Asians tend to be, a lot of them tend to be on the thin side. And all my life I've been thin. And I've always been a healthy eater. And in the last many years of my life, I have been an avid exercise, exerciser. But about two to three years ago, I developed um, a medical condition, which required me to take medications that put some pounds on me. And no matter what I tried, and when I tell you what, what I've tried, you know, several eating plans, um, daily caloric deficit, using, you know, fitness trackers, all under medical supervision. Everything that I tried was under careful medical supervision, and I was extremely disciplined about it. I cannot shed this elephant suit that I feel that I'm wearing. 
it's just terrible. I feel like I'm walking around in a body that's not mine, and I feel very heavy in it. And it's brought up all kinds of body shaming issues from my past that, you know, just it's amazing that what happened to you, like, you know, three decades, three decades ago can suddenly be alive in you, whatever happened to you in middle school or high school. It's amazing how that those emotions are suddenly like right there. And um, I've been told by my medical profession professionals that I cannot eat fewer calories without getting into disordered eating. And I know myself that I can't exercise more without eating into my schedule improperly because I don't want to spend more time on, like, I don't want to make an idol of exercise. And I need to make sure that I'm prioritizing having enough energy to take care of my son who has autism. And he requires a lot of energy for, for that. So I need to make sure that I'm allocating enough energy to do what he needs. So in sum, I just don't think that losing weight is at the top of God's to-do list for me right now. I think, like, I believe that he wants me to take my meds. He wants me to continue being as healthy as I can. And he wants me to get on with other things. Like, my, my son, we're implementing some new strategies in his therapy. And I've got some new creative writing projects going on. So I think that's what God wants me to focus on. But, you know, every morning I wake up. And I look in the mirror, and I see a big, fat, ugly dandelion. And I still hear a voice in the back of my head saying, well, how little can I eat today? Or how much more can I exercise? Because there's still something inside of me that wants to keep trying and trying, like something that doesn't want to admit that the rat race isn't going to work. Like something in me wants to keep, like, keep at it, keep running on that hamster wheel because it believes that I can beat this thing. And if I beat this thing, then, then, and only then I can love and accept myself just a little bit. Very conditional. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that I had to step back and I thought, oh my gosh, that's not a scary attitude, but that is a sinful attitude. And I define sinful as anything that harms someone made in the image of God, and that includes you. And the best way I could sort of make it drive the point home for myself, because so often we sin against ourselves and we just blow it off. We go, well, it's just myself. I can sin against myself. I can do something harmful to myself. It's just me, right? We do that all the time. Is I thought, what if I were to apply such a conditional lens to my son? What if I were to say, I'll love and accept you when you can talk. I'll love and accept you when you stop acting weird in public or when you catch up to your peers. I'll love and accept you when you can hide your autism better. You know, as costly as my son's developmental deficits can be, I love him more and not less because of them. Mm. You know, I understand that he's struggling with a body and a brain that does not function the way most others do. And he's got his, in some ways, he's got his own elephant suit weighing him down. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, once again, you're crafting your words so beautifully and sharing from your heart. Uh, so in such a full way, I appreciate that so much. And I know my listeners do too. Let me take a short break. When we come back, lots more with Dr. Rebecca Ree. You can head over to her website, RebeccaRee.net. R E B E C C A R H E E dot net. Be right back. 
I'm back with Dr. Rebecca Ree, who is a brilliant thinker, writer, processor of all things uh, minutia, which I appreciate. I love minutia. And you've got, you've got us on pins and needles over here, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. I got Rosie tearing up and it's just powerful, powerful story you're telling today. And I do want to get back to it. Okay. So um, we were talking about my son who has autism yes. and is wearing his own kind of um, elephant suit. And um, so I was thinking the difference between him and me is that I, I carry my elephant suit with shame and, and bitterness and he doesn't with his. And the difference is because somewhere along the line, I believe some lies and he's not carrying those lies. Hmm. And um, those lies were, you know, um, I'm carrying around some standards that um, the voices of darkness told me I had to be perfect. When I didn't meet those standards, I got bitter about it. Or those lies might be that I was entitled to some things in this imperfect world that Jesus said, you're not going to get those perfect things in this imperfect world. So then things got bitter, right? So, um, so let's just cut to the chase and talk to you about what can we do when we're not getting the return on our efforts? You know, when we're walking around in our personal elephant suits and we're bitter, what are the things that we can do? And I want to tell you three things that we can do when we've got, when we feel like God is shortchanging us um, and we've poured out so much and received so little in return. So the first thing that we need to do is we look down. We look, we examine the dandelions at our feet. And we have to be brutally honest about the disappointment and distress that we're feeling. And that usually means bringing a trusted person into our confidence about, about it. Um, just telling our own, you know, our own self in a, in a closet isn't going to work. We really need to bring a trusted person. There's something about confessing it to another person that's very, very um, powerful. And you know what? The prophet Jeremiah said, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long, and everyone mocked me. He was, he was a faithful prophet, and he, he gave it to God. He didn't mince words. So you lift up your lament. It's an act of worship. You look down at your, those dandelions, and you, you be honest about it. Number two, you look in. You ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's any lies you've been believing that have led you to a bitter place. And I talked about that. Maybe you we were convinced that you should have looked a certain way, achieved a certain goal, that you were entitled to a certain treasure. And when you didn't get it, your thinking got sinful and scary. Um, and that's like the, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And then the third thing you need to do is look up. After you've voiced your anger, after you've asked God to, you know, show you what's, what's sinful and scary in your heart, then you need to sit at the table with Jesus and gaze into his eyes and see how much he loves you the way Mary seemed to grasp that reality. She was the one sitting at his feet. She was the one that, like, kind of grasped how, how stupendous was the love that Jesus had, and she could not help but respond in kind by doing a beautiful thing for him. And Jesus said that when we pour out love onto another person, we've done it unto him. So maybe what you need to do is prayerfully ask him, who, who needs me to do a beautiful thing? Um, and it might very well be that you that beautiful thing needs to be done to yourself, and it will minister to him. That will hit the spot. 
for Jesus when you do it to yourself. It might be another person that will hit the spot for Jesus. But just know the whole time as you do these three things, looking down, looking in, looking up, that in his eyes, you are a fragrant flowering plant. You are worth all of his sacrifice. He's ready to take you through fields that may seem like a desert place, but actually they are holy, fertile ground. He wants to grow good things in you that are going to yield a hundredfold than what you think. That is powerful. I just love this illustration and I love your honesty and your candor and the way you've laid this out, Rebecca. It's it's giving us a whole lot to think about for sure. Well, you know, that one little flower, I don't even know if it's still there in my driveway. Um, they might have killed it by now, <laughs> the people that came by. But I'm glad I snapped a picture of it, but it had a lot to speak. And you know what? This world around us, as fallen as it is, God puts all kinds of things in it to just just challenge the lies that are constantly being bombarded, you know, we're being bombarded with. God, God speaks to, he really does draw these little things, he does. Isn't it kind of simple to understand the enemy's approach? All you have to do is listen to what God says. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So turn that around and the enemy's saying, you're going to be alone someday. Oh, yeah. The problem is it's um, the enemy's got some authority in this world, so it's much easier to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to hear his voice in this world, and we really, really have to try very hard and band together to hear God's voice. Mm-hmm. We can be we can be all alone to hear the enemy's voice, but we got to band together to hear God's voice. Yeah, Rebecca, I'd love for you to say more about just being brutally honest about some of the deep disappointment and distress that people are experiencing. Because I know I know a lot of people are feeling it right now. Well, I'll say something from the Hebrew scholar point of view. Okay, good. Um, um, there's a word. So when um, when you, with that that psalm saying, you know, God, God search me and know me, see if there be any grievous way in me. That yes. word grievous, it comes from the Hebrew word which is etzev, etzev. And if that the first time we see that that root is when God curses Eve in childbirth. He says, "In pain you will give birth." Right, etzev. You, and then the next place we see it in Genesis is when God grieves his own childbirth, when he sees that humanity is just hopelessly evil, and he thinks, I've got to, like, wash this out, like we see the flood happening, right? Mm-hmm. So God God doesn't curse Eve with anything that he himself doesn't experience. She experiences pain in childbirth, and he experiences childbirth pain as a creator. So when we go through this process of inviting God to look in us and make a fundamental change in us, like change the way I see the world and the way I I respond to um, feeling like I'm being shortchanged and I need help, know that God doesn't speak to us. Like when we feel like, oh, his priority is elsewhere. I can't just say, oh, you know, God doesn't care about my weight struggles. He's doing that from a compassionate point of view. I have to constantly remind myself of mm-hmm. that. You know, when he says, no, no, honey, not now. I want you to look over here. He, you know, it's, it's not anything that he himself hasn't walked through. Yeah. You also said maybe you feel entitled to some treasure, true love, good health, wealth, vocational yeah. success that God never promised you. Of course, maybe can we take out the word entitled and just put in the word desired? You, you've 
you desire to have true love and good health and wealth and vocational success, all things that are worthwhile right. in this life. But in fact, we're understanding that that um, God necessarily has not promised any of that. Right. In fact, Jesus promised us that in this world you will have tribulation. So yeah. it's not wrong to want those things. Right. But once we see it, we cross the line into entitlement, that's where the, do- the door opens for bitterness. Yeah. And when that happens and you start drifting that direction, uh, you have to pay attention. Otherwise, it, it goes downhill kind of fast, doesn't it? That's why you need a confident, confidant. You yeah. need a confidant to say to you, hey, you're drifting. Yeah. You're drifting. Yeah. And that would be a, a close friend, a mentor, a pastor, or someone in your life that just kind of has a pulse on your life. I think, yep, a yeah. trusted person. You have to be very careful who you share your stuff with, but definitely um, you need you need somebody, yep. Yeah. So nice to talk to you again, Rebecca. Thank you so much for taking time to do the, the show, and I hope your summer continues to go well, and I'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Well, thank you for having me back, Bill. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Dr. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. If you head over to her website, you'd love to sign up to get her blogs, RebeccaRee, R-H-E-E dot net, We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.